Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back to the show. Today we've got our friend, Zach Pope. Welcome, Zach. Hey, man. Good to be here. Good to be here. You know what else, you know what else is good to be? What's that? It's good to be a customer of Podbean. Yeah. Now, Podbean is an all-in-one podcast publishing and hosting platform. Now, Zach, I know you've thought about doing podcast. I think you have a podcast now. Yeah. And you know what you should do? Don't tell me if you're not using them because you should be. Podbean. It's the easiest way to get started in podcasting. Now, with their new mobile app for Android and iOS, it allows podcasters to record and publish podcasts direct. Zach, you've got a phone. I got a phone. You could record your podcast directly from your phone if you use Podbean. That's nuts. So it's, it's mind-blowing. It's super easy, super efficient. I've used it for years, and if you use it, I'm sure you'll have as great an experience as I do. So go to podbean.com backslash newsworthy Boom. for more. Boom. That just happens. I'm convinced. Zach. I'm convinced. You, you got me, man. Sold. Well, <laughs> deal. <laughs> deal. Now, our long Zach, you were like one of my very first podcast guests True. very early on. And so this is also the only time I've ever had to record a podcast the second time uh, because of technical difficulty on someone else's end. Yeah. And so for you, I am more than willing to do We tried to do this like two <laughs> weeks ago. We had a little technical difficulty. Out, yeah. You're out in the country. It's, it gets real dicey. You know, some bad weather can basically blow out your your internet signal it's really weird so so it's here we are. life in the country yeah. of the north where, where where are you right now we're we're in uh the the burlington vermont area so okay. so yeah northern vermont pretty close to the canadian border uh mm-hmm. if we if things get real bad you know we can just drive about an hour north uh to safety so just go to safety. Yeah. You just know? go find sarah bessie and <laughs> yeah, whoever else right. is canadian that we know uh i don't <laughs> I'm trying to think of other Canadians we've had on the podcast. Brad Jersak, is he Canadian? He seems kind of Canadian. Yeah, I, I, I believe so, though I'm not sure exactly where he lives uh, um, now. But yes, yes, I believe he is. He is at least from oh. there. Did you have, you have, I think it was his last book that came a couple years ago. He was on, and he tells a story of, it's like the most incredible story of like grace and forgiveness mm. of like his ex and taking care of her and her new mm. husband and like actually walking her down the aisle. Oh, wow. All this stuff. But then part of you is like, that's amazing. The other part is, well, he is Canadian, so that's kind of normal. You know, it's just like that's, that's kind of what he's supposed to do. It's a, different, it's a different way of life, you know? It's a different it, way of life. It really is. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're in Vermont. The, the, your, your new book, which is entitled The Light is Winning, obviously talks a lot about Vermont and your, your time there. Um, Okay, before we get into the book, yeah. The Light is Winning, which is a, is a reference to the uh, show True Detectives. It is. Um, last time you were on, we were talking about Dexter. We were. Um, and you're kind of, I mean, you just do, like, your niche is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some TV references up in this, <laughs> this writing game. So how early on did you know that was your thing? Well, you know, uh, I, I've always loved TV, and uh, and I've always been kind of ashamed of it. And uh, then I, you know, read a little bit of Brene Brown, and now I'm not ashamed of it anymore. You know? <laughs> what were you? What were you ashamed of that you liked? Everyone likes TV, well, right? But there, I, I think I have a, a sense of like it, it. It really means something to me. Television does. It, it's not just a a sort of hobby. It's like I 
really love it. It's a part of like who I am. And during like some really tough, dark times in my, my childhood and young adulthood, like TV was my sort of way out. It was like my, my window mm. to the world. And so when things were really isolated and really, uh, yeah, just dark that I, I, I could rely on and kind of find, uh, some peace and solace in watching like Letterman. And yeah. SNL, well, and you know, like some primetime dramas, you know, <laughs> and things yeah. like that. And so, I've, or Seinfeld, you know, whatever it was, and and that those things are just really, really important to me. Well, I think everyone connects to TV. I, I think the stories that we tell ourselves shape who we are, yeah. and we can't disassociate the stories that we go to week in and week out as though that they are not spiritually formative to us. That's right. And the, okay, so yesterday I was on a plane and I watched um, uh, Collateral Beauty with Will Smith. Mm, sure. Um, okay, I, I never, but I was like, I'm on a plane. I haven't seen it. I'll watch it. And it's a story about a guy who loses a six year old daughter. And I'm crying on the plane. Like, I'm, I'm literally like putting my hands over my nose as though people aren't going to see that I'm crying. I'm like, what does he do? But like, I think cinema whether it's tv or movies they shape us and i i would rather us go head on and deal with the spiritual formation that's happening instead of running away from it yeah 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 i agree and 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 in a way too if we're if we're sort of looking we're, we're gonna find these glimmers and reflections of of the narrative of our faith you know, mm-hmm. all over the place, and and I think that's that also is kind of what what excites me is that every time I'm I'm watching a show or or a film, it it really is about looking for those glimmers, looking for those reflections because they're they're there, and they're sometimes in the most unlikely places, like you mm-hmm. know, with a with a serial killer who kills serial killers, <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. or uh, yeah. or even you know, a show about a nihilistic you know detective and and uh some weird uh mythical uh thing that's happening with with another serial killer so so yes yeah, so yeah. there's this sense that you know we can find um these mm-hmm. weird glimmers and reflections of our, our, our faith narrative and that i think is is a powerful thing it is for me at least and, and i hope i hope that communicates to others as well <laughs> yeah yeah well it's good like in this book the the, the dexter book i enjoy that obviously but this book it, it, it's in there too i mean you see it <clears throat> hey so i know your mic is Hitting on your uh, collar, so just put it on the other side of your collar. Okay. Well, I yeah, there you go. Why. You're good. Would that? Oh, and it's still coming through on this on my. It, anyway, whatever. whatever it's fine. It We're Sorry, gonna keep dude. going. I'm just telling you that. Let's keep going. Um, oh, but uh, Dexter. Yes. Um, so my. Um, okay. Truth be told, I've got a. Um, a two book deal, which I think is going to be announced by the time that this podcast goes out. But my second book, I'm going to talk about the idea of the, uh, the dark passenger, which is from Dexter as a metaphor for sin. Like uh, Stephen Pressfield talks about, um, resistance Mm. and, uh, uh, Francis Spufer talks about the human potential to mess things up is what we'll call it here in in this uh, podcast. But those three images, like resistance, the dark passenger, mm. like I think has been a like a very um, meaningful metaphor for the idea that there's something pulling us away from yes. God's intention for. So all that to say, yeah, I, I keep doing your thing. Oh, You're doing good. Thanks, and, yeah. and so you said that during your childhood, during tough times, that right. Letterman and others were helpful for you. So in the book, you talk about um, 
You use the word cult. We, I can use the word cult, you, can't you can, I? You can use it, my man. Yes, you can. Yeah, so you talked about growing up uh, in a in a cult, which yeah. is, um, we're not talking like the, uh, what is the show on Netflix with the girl from... Uh, right, the Kimmy Schmidt, yeah. Yeah, Kimmy old, Schmidt. Yes, like, yes, yes. You're, like, you're a few clicks away from that. Mm. Like, you're not in a bomb shelter, that's but... Right, that's right. It, it's definitely some cultish stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, that word is tough because I feel like we, we're, we're sort of hesitant to use it or and different. And it's interesting, too, because as, as I was kind of researching and, and trying to see, well, what, what, what is a good way <laughs> to define uh, a, a cult and what does that even and kind of mean? Um, there really are agendas a lot of times behind the use of the word. And, and I've found, especially in more conservative Christian circles, cult is primarily primarily used to mean those groups that are not doctrinally sound. So like, hmm. so for instance, a, a conservative, maybe slightly more fundamentalist type of Christian would say Mormonism is a cult, you know, because yeah. they stray doctrinally from, uh, from, you know, traditional conservative Christian theology or whatever. But, but, but what's interesting to me is that that, that definition uh, hurts more than it helps because a cult in, in my mind and, and, and in, in many others as well is a, uh, a group that uses uh, religion, spirituality, some other kind of belief system to control, to heavily control other people's lives to the detriment of their lives. And, and that really was, was what uh, I experienced growing up. And, and it started by actually moving to uh, this cult in Texas, which was a, a, an independent Pentecostal expression, mm-hmm. but, um, but which functioned uh, as, a, as a true blue cult with uh, a charismatic leader at the top who controlled every detail of people's lives. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, uh, and uh, continued, even after our family left uh, that place, uh, continued just in the root system and in the in the dynamic of 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 our family and other churches and groups that 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 we were a part of after that it was uh, just a really devastating thing so yeah so so that that was uh, that was a wild time and uh, um, I, I was on another podcast recently kind of drawing out some of the more humorous parts of that so that was kind of interesting <laughs> but yeah. it was a heavy it was a heavy thing for sure it's a heavy subject so you yeah. guys moved from florida right right and then you moved to jasper texas which is That's right uh it's somewhat notorious for like some terrible um racial crime racially motivated yeah. hate crimes that took place there yeah uh it's uh yeah it's not the most uh uh, it's not the, the the pride of Texas to say the least. I don't think uh, as so. A, as a Texan, <laughs> I would say that. Now, the, one of the the most cultish parts of the story to me was when you guys were trying to leave, and what happened with the cult leader coming over to the house. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was that was that was maybe one of the most uh, kind of kind of palpable or, 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 or tangible experiences mm-hmm. of that heavy-handed uh, control. Because as we were kind of on our way out, he shows up at the door and uh, just enraged, yelling and pounding, and uh, and it was kind of uh, I think it just just he was unleashed in a way uh, uh, towards uh, my my father in particular, and uh, was ready for ready for a rumble. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, we were all hiding, and my father wasn't there. It was just a really, really uh, um, kind of traumatic moment, and uh, and eventually he left. But but that was uh, kind of his lashing out at the very end um, to try mm-hmm. to grab onto uh, and, and take hold of uh, his control over uh, our family. At the same time, right during that same period, 
uh, it was almost as if uh, my father was also beginning to manifest some of the exact same qualities. And, and so it really was interesting how the transfer of that same kind of religious uh, practice and controlling and authoritarian kind um, of thing was, was passed on. Yeah, it... It, what is the, the old Nietzsche line? Uh, be careful when you're hunting monsters that you be, you don't become them. Right, so, right. The same idea like that. You, you might know, hey, we need to get away from this, but those yes. things are, are in you. And in the book, you talk about you know your relationship with your dad and right. how that was manifest. Uh, there was a scene, I think, where you uh, he's trying to say something to you against education, and you get yes. out of the car, and there's this uh, there's almost this break, and then your your dad's still involved in the church plant. Right. Um, how has that been? Okay, here's two part question. Yeah. The first part is how are you trying to be aware of the ways in which that sort of upbringing mm. doesn't overly influence in a detrimental way the decisions and, and leadership style that you have right. as a Christian leader? Right. You know, that's been kind of an awakening. I think, in a way, uh, especially in. Uh, well, I, I've known from a very, uh, you know, fairly young age, adolescence at least, uh, that what I was uh, kind of growing up in was not okay. There was this this inner sort of knowing that this is not okay, and and what I'm seeing and experiencing and. Uh, the kind of um, um, aggressive, controlling behaviors that are happening all around me and people who are being manipulated and lives that are being kind of just taken off track and some of them really ruined by the experience. I, I knew it wasn't okay. And I could feel it almost happening to me as well. I could feel uh, my life and my future almost being up to fail. And because I was, I was in this, this system and I couldn't get out. I was a kid, you know, and, uh, but I knew it was wrong. Um, and so in, in kind of, uh, you know, becoming a, a young adult and, and moving maybe in, in, into my own ministry uh, experiences, I had this consciousness of, I, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it different. Uh, I want to be different. I want to fix these mistakes that I saw being made uh, all around me. I think what what gradually began to dawn on me, though, is that even in uh, these sort of lesser forms or 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 smaller uh, kind of moments and bursts, that there was a sense of um, we're all capable of, and uh, we're all sort of inclined to uh, um, this uh, this sort of. Breaking Bad, <laughs> yep. when yep. when uh, things the pressure is applied and when things are are starting to go south, uh, maybe in a ministry experience or church experience that we want desperately uh, to control things that we want to see it turn out a certain way that we have so much riding on it. And for me, that wasn't uh, in controlling people because I, I really was consciously uh, opposed to doing that. But it was I was looking for a certain outcome and I was desperately trying to make it happen. Uh, yeah. And so as our church plant began to decline and finally unravel, I, I just felt this devastation of a lifelong sense of calling coming to a, a really devastating kind of end. And not only that, but bringing about all kinds of uh, eruptions from my past as well in, in relationships and other things that yeah. I was like, how could this be happening to me? <laughs> like I was yeah. trying to fix the problem and here 
here I am still seeing it all kind of kind of come apart. And that I think was just an awakening moment where um, where this has to be a transition from one way of life to another way of life, from uh, a way of trying to control outcomes to letting go of outcomes and, and releasing, uh, that control completely. And, and that's maybe what father Rohr talks about in the first half of life to second half of life transition. And that really was kind of the moment I found myself in the ego of a sense of a ministry call that defines everything needs to be let go of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's tough. Uh, it's easier said than done. It's it difficult is. to let go and to relinquish control and to relinquish outcomes. That yes. that's not easy to do. Um, and it's also hard to make the observation that that the same thing in them, the mm. cult leaders, that causes them to act in a certain way, is not distinctly different from the character inside of each of our hearts. That right. when left unchecked can lead us down the exact same path that, yeah. that the line of good and evil isn't between us and them right. it's right down the middle of all of us that we all yeah. have that same sort of propensity i want to eventually get to the second part of that question but mm. not yet i want to stay here for a second uh, so in the book there was the like anti-education anti yeah. like learning kind of thing that was uh, a main part of or at least it was a part of the cultish experience and it seemed like that was your 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 breaking point where you switched and kind of just stepped away and it almost reminded me of um i think it was in uh, booker t's booker t washington's slave narrative of up from slavery he talked about reading and education was really the way to to get out of, yes. of slavery I, there was some connection how did that how did, first of all the backstory is like your dad didn't like the idea of you wanting to educate yourself and to learn but how yeah. did that give you freedom to step into a, a new way of doing spirituality and Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny when I was uh, working with my, my, uh, my previous denomination planting a church with them. Uh, one of the things our, our district uh, superintendent would always say is, you know, Zach is just, he's a lifelong learner. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and he would say that as, as a way of kind of explaining my, my general kind of orientation to theology and things like that. And that really is, is the case that um, in a very self-directed and self-applied way, especially as a kid uh, uh, and young adult, that uh, learning and 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 seeking out uh, um, knowledge and information on on uh, especially on on these topics has always been kind of the driving force of of my life and uh, and it has been the way that I have progressively step by step kind of moved out of the the unhealthy trappings of uh, of the religion that I grew up in uh, towards a healthier. Uh, and more uh, authentic kind of religious practice and, and stuff. So, yeah. What, yeah, is, what does that look like, though? If, if you're doing the right. self-directed, you're on your own, you're not yeah. in a seminary. Uh, obviously, you talked about Sarah Bessie, someone else who's kind of yeah. gone through that same route. What did that look like? How, what books were showing up in your, in your mailbox? How did that go? Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of been a, um, an interesting sort of, uh, you know, journey, and I, and I kind of trace it out a little in the book, but, but, but I really latched on, uh, you know, as, as a 20-something to, to Reformed theology. That was, so this was a big, and people who know me yeah. now would be like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mr. Uh, yeah, anyway. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so, so yes, yeah, so that was a, and that was actually a huge lifesaver for me uh, because it was uh, the first time I had ever encountered uh, uh, just deeper theology. 
You know, yep. uh, growing up in, in, in a very uh, flaky sort of uh, Pentecostal and charismatic world, and then especially the application of those things in such unhealthy, manipulative ways, to, to come into contact with just some just some just meaty, deep theology. So I was reading Luther and Calvin and Edwards, and then I was reading Piper and all these other guys, of course, because, yeah. because they're sort of the modern representatives of, of, of the dead dudes. But that was huge for me. It was a huge step out of um, something and into something else. And and so really from there, it has been kind of a, a continual um, process of, of, of self-reformation, I guess, in a way, and, 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 and some transformation too. And a lot of that has been catalyzed by life experience. So it's, it's, it's not no. merely, you know, collecting information, but experiencing things too. Um, but that has taken me, you know, kind of across the board from, you know, maybe from, from that, er, those early Calvinistic experiences to, uh, to, to more post evangelical ones. And then finally to, to maybe stuff that would be considered, uh, um, uh, more progressive and, uh, um, and, and, and social gospel and it's, and it's orientation, but, but kind of also seeing some synthesis in between all of those phases as well. So I'm not totally letting go you know one of the things I, yeah. I tell folks a lot of times is like i'm not a calvinist in any real sense of the word um but i actually really am a covenantal theologian that that's how i understand theology and that's a deeply reformed understanding uh, of theology is to understand uh, um uh, the biblical narrative uh, as as a story of covenants and so that really is deeply kind of who who i am and so i take something i think with me from from all of those phases yeah that's good that's the transcend and include mm-hmm. stuff from roar like yeah covenant's a big deal to you obviously it's like tattooed on your arm it is it? right yeah. yes but and, uh, you know thankfully <laughs> thankfully but is I, the, it's still a good thing yeah <laughs> but but the covenant it seems like it's more of an anti right take on covenant. Is that your yeah. right? That's where you're coming from. But okay, Absolutely. so I can see the progression of almost like the uh, the anti intellectual thought of the quasi culty Pentecostally version that you yes. have, which not all Pentecostals are anti education, of course. But no, then no, no. you 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 morph into kind of the reform stuff. And is that where you met your wife? Is was Kaylin yeah. at the the Calvinist Baptisty church that you were a part of? Yeah, so how, yeah. How? Okay, so you're obviously evolving. You're growing. Um, how right. does? Are, are you married? Are you dating this time? Um, when you're st- when you first got married, were you still in right. same church? Yeah, yeah. So she she was actually uh, um, she grew up in a different church. We we began attending that that uh, that that uh, Reformed Baptist church together. Um, but uh, after we after we uh, really after we got married, but it was kind of it was a little bit before as well. So anyway, yes. But she had grown up in in uh, in and among. Uh, reformed theology. So this was this was a huge point of of common ground uh, between us. Yeah. So were you guys uh, growing, evolving together, separately at the same time? How, how was that going yeah. for for both of you? I think I think there there was kind of both things were happening. We were coming from very different family backgrounds. At the same time, we had both, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, had a a similar kind of experience in our respective backgrounds, namely kind of feeling a little bit like outsiders uh, to our own family dynamic, to our own uh, church experiences. She kind of felt like an outsider to hers. I felt like an outsider to mine. And that really, I think, was a huge bonding um, element as well. And uh, and honestly, just she had such a genuine 
a real simple faith that um, absolutely kind of captured me. And, and that, I think, uh, along with her being just an incredible person, was, uh, was a huge reason uh, why it just worked almost immediately. Uh, but uh, little did we know, we were kind of getting started on, on, a, on a little bit of a wild ride. And, uh, and that would, would definitely change both of us uh, as individuals and as a couple uh, in ways we kind of didn't expect. Yeah, I think that's an interesting concept, like that you guys were doing this together. That's one of the questions I've received uh, multiple times is, what do you do when uh, when your husband, when your spouse, whoever, um, is not on the same journey you're going on? And right. how do you how do you bridge that sort of distance? It sounds yeah. like you, you didn't really have to do that, so that's very fortunate. So you've, Huge, yeah. you've come to the same place together. Um, okay, a while ago, I think we said this on the previous failed twi- uh, podcast, <laughs> but... A while ago, someone posted on Twitter about uh, you did something like anti-Empire kind of comment, and someone responded, I can't believe Zonarin's publishing this guy. And I was like, I kind of get the, like, I am kind of surprised that this is a Zonarin book too. Uh, So that's like a fair thing from where where you are to be with them. Um, One of the things that I I really liked um, was your take on the decline of church and right. you're reading like read on the apocalypse. Uh, is that the right word to use? Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and your connection to that and the declining church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so how most people see the numbers on declining church, which are across the board, uh, they're yes. all dropping and yes. it's, this, it's the worst thing in the world. You're saying it's, it might not be the worst thing in the world. How right. so? Right. Yeah, the the kind of uh, the, the the flip in in my thinking and, and approach to uh, that whole issue. You know, I was in a, a conference not too long ago uh, where a, a, a missiologist was was speaking to a small group, and uh, and I asked him, knowing that I would kind of get a, a spicy answer, as a British guy. I said, you know, what do you think about all these statistics rolling in about the decline of Christianity in America, and especially the idea of like how to get millennials and other people, nuns and duns, back to church? And he just looked at me deadpan and said that. It's it's all BS, man. It's all BS. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I think he might have said the real word. But anyway, you know, and, and this group of Baptists were all were all kind of shocked. And and but what he meant was that uh, that there's a way of approaching these statistics about decline as a problem to be solved. That that you know, oh well, with a few programmatic alterations, or maybe uh, just by like looking at the culture and trying to figure out, okay, what's you know what's happening, and then we can change things and alter. Then we'll get them back. Is all yeah. motivated by by the wrong thing, which is uh, an institutional uh, survival and, and a, a way of, of, of recouping numbers and, and trying to make certain benchmarks and, and keep something intact, uh, that really is fundamentally coming to an end. And so, so Apocalypse, as a way of understanding this, I think is really helpful because uh, what it says is when this kind of um, um, collective decline or suffering begins to occur, it's a way for us to, say, to stop and say, okay, Now's the time to reflect. Now's the time to see what is being revealed by this moment of, of suffering, by this moment of decline. And, uh, and, and that's what apocalypse means. It means revealing. And this is a moment of revealing for the church in America. And particularly, it's a moment of revealing how, uh, in various ways and degrees, um, um, we have gotten wrapped up in the business of empire, in the, in, in, in to compromise with, uh, the power, the wealth, the violence, the, the, the selfish, uh, kinds of motivation. Uh, 
uh, that that uh, characterize uh, empire. Okay. Uh, the idea, yeah, yeah. How would you define what empire is for someone who's never heard that word before? Yeah, it, it's a tough one to define. It domination, selfish power and control. It always involves oppression. It always has uh, as its uh, mechanisms uh, um, uh, power, wealth, and violence. And I think if it, you know, if you kind of see it in that way, it, it, it certainly manifests in in governments. For instance, you know, uh, you can look at a government and say that government uh, is uh, operating like an empire. Mm-hmm. Seeking to dominate, operating in oppressive ways, motivated and and utilizing and accumulating uh, wealth and power and acting violently towards others. So th- these things are are the ways uh, of empire, which the people of, of God, uh, Old Testament. Uh, and new were always meant to be a countersign or a counterwitness uh, uh, to the ways of empire. Most, most people would not think that they have done anything violent uh, as a right. church, as a religious institution. I'm assuming you're not saying violent in the sense of let's get baseball bats and go hit people. Yes. Y- you have a different understanding of that. Could you explain what it is? Yeah, yeah. So interpersonal violence, right, is something that 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 you know most uh, Christian people would would really try to avoid. <laughs> but, yes, uh, maybe you know every now and then something happens, but you're going to try to avoid it. But in the way that we, for instance. Uh, um, uh, quickly and almost in a knee-jerk way, uh, embrace and support and vociferously defend American militarism and the uh, the idea of of uh, fighting uh, wars wherever those wars may be happening uh, as somehow a good and godly thing, um, that is where I think we would be buying into the violence of empire. That's where we would be compromising with the violence. of When, when we look, for instance, or when we blindly support policing and we say, you know, blue lives matter and, and we've got to support our cops. They're good people, you know. Do, well, yes, I mean, a, a, the majority are good people. And yet, are we looking at the systemic uh, ways in which Violence uh, is manifesting uh, towards particular communities and groups. Are we looking at ways individual cops have especially violent tendencies or racist uh, tendencies, which then produce violence? So, so this is the way we have to question um, the the mechanism and the the the, the operation of empire, uh, and, and and actually be willing to stand against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a witness against it. So one of the, the critiques is, okay, this sounds like, okay, we're going to push against um, the religious right and right. the uh, theological children of that movement, which are still prevalent mm-hmm. today. And it, it almost becomes a, uh, a pendulum effect where everyone just swings to the left and goes, well, does that mean right. that... Obviously, you're outspoken supporter of, of Bernie Sanders. And... Right. Some people would say, well, okay, so all of a sudden now Bernie Sanders is salvation instead of mm. the Bush family mm. or whoever. Um, mm. how, how can we push against empire, uh, be involved in a political uh, world, a political country, without thinking that our political party, whether it's the right or the left, is somehow deified yeah. and that is therefore the big C church? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is the challenge. And I think in a way the 
Um, and, and this is kind of where I, I personally land. Anytime that we're saying that at some level a, a political uh, um, party or a politician or even a political um, movement um, has the answer or is somehow uh, um, not uh, sort of uh, capable of being critiqued or of, uh, of uh, worthy of critique in some way. They're, they're above critique. Um, anytime we go down that road, we're, we're in trouble. Uh, I also think if we are not starting as, as Christians, as the people of God, uh, if we're not starting from that place of identity, that, that, that the kingdom uh, to which uh, we uh, give our, our allegiance is not from this world. It's, it's breaking into this world, but it's not from here. Um, if, if we don't have that in, at the core of our identity, we're going to be very liable to uh, simply identify ourselves uh, as Democrats or as this, this kind of Democrat, uh, just as the religious right was very liable to identify themselves as Republicans or this particular kind uh, of Republican. So, so that's, I think, where we have to kind of uh, come from in order to avoid uh, some of those pitfalls. At the same time, this is kind of where I land, you know, and this is why I like Bernie and, and others, is uh, that, you know, if I'm seeing the, the values of, uh, of love, uh, justice, uh, equality, for the neighbors that I'm called to love, expressed by a particular uh, um, politician or movement, and there's a policy that may come about as a result of that, well, I'm willing to support that, and I'm willing to even kind of get called a partisan or a lefty or whatever because of that. I think that's the that's a cross I'm kind of willing to bear mm-hmm. uh, because – Loving our neighbors is a real thing, and it has real implications. And and we've got to, you know, if we're talking about healthcare, for instance, that's a real thing with real implications for real people, and it's a life or death matter for many. So if we're yeah. not getting uh, uh, behind something there, then are we really loving our neighbors fully and tangibly? I, I just don't think so. So so we have got to come from the right place. That our kingdom is not from this world, and that's not uh, we're not here to to kind of uh, be uh, proud to be Americans and, and join our political party and fight the bad guys. It's more about a particular policy or agenda that's going to affect our neighbors in a way that they they desperately need. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, Walter Brueggemann was on a few weeks ago, and he had the line about how yeah. uh, okay, so everyone goes to church fifty two Sundays a year, uh, one right. Sunday <laughs> a year they should go and you know be involved in the political process. And I quickly told him I was like. Uh, I don't think anyone goes to church 52 times a year anymore. Um, so let's, let's bump that number down a little bit. But I get the idea that being participatory in the political process can um, be the outgrowing uh, of your spiritual convictions, your, your Christianity. Uh, one of the things that I'm, as a pastor, one of the things that I'm very proud of about the church I, I serve is that there are people right. on both sides of the political spectrum who are part of our church and who can do community together. And I think people have different ways of advancing uh, the way that God wants to see people treated with different political parties. And I think church should be able to have the diversity of that and the respect to see across the aisle and to have, you you touched on this a second ago, if you don't have a robust enough picture of the kingdom of heaven, then it gets reduced down to a political party. And so, yes, yeah, I think if people are convinced that Bernie is the way to go, if people are convinced whoever, um, as long as they understand the secondary nature of political parties to your Christian allegiance. And I, yeah, that's right. Okay, let, let me go back to the book. 
you have this great line about the the end, this is the apocalypse, leads to a new beginning, mm-hmm. which I believe is a Green Day song, I think. Uh, every new beginning <laughs> comes from some other beginning's end. I think... <laughs> So, I think so, that's, that's not, that's not, yeah, um, yeah, that's not, uh, who is that? <laughs> Every new beginning comes oh. from some other beginnings. That, that's not Green Day. It's, uh, it came out the same time, like 98. Anyway, um, I feel like I need to go Google that now. But y- you had another line about one of the things that can happen is the eruption of the real. How, how, how do you see the eruption of the real happening uh, in this uh, apocalyptic time of decline? Yeah, I think it's it's twofold. I think the first the first eruption is when we begin to see um, the the harmful and the uh, uh, um, the destructive implications of that empire compromise, uh, kind of rearing its ugly head. Whether that's manifesting in in uh, authoritarianism in in church leadership, or it's manifesting in uh, um, this quick sort of knee jerk uh, to uh, um, seeking power, uh, wealth, uh, um, aligning ourselves with American militarism, uh, becoming overly consumeristic, and just seeing how that takes us off course from loving our neighbors. When those are the eruptions, when those things start to become obvious, they start to be revealed, that's one element of, of the way the real, the reality uh, is erupting and coming to the surface. We're starting to see these things more clearly now, and I think I think that's true. I think that's happening uh, all around us. At least that that's my that's my um, uh, experience. And and then at the same time, uh, and and for instance, I think the rise of, of, of Donald Trump is a huge eruption of the real, and the the uh, you know the eighty what whatever percent of evangelicals that that uh, that were supporting him. So so there is an, a sense in which that shows something that tells a what do you story mean? about us. What do you mean Trump is the eruption of the real? Well, I think that that you know uh, the fact, just the mere fact that that this particular politician. And uh, uh, who, uh, by all accounts, is uh, like no one else uh, we've seen uh, in the American political process for a number of reasons, and who represents a number of values that I think are uh, drastically uh, against, uh, diametrically against uh, the values of the kingdom of God, uh, to see him rise to prominence supported in such large numbers uh, by the evangelical a movement in America, at least, is a moment of revealing. It's an eruption. It's it's sort of like this all all the stuff that maybe we could kind of kind of keep under the surface about what we really believe and what our values really are, and superimpose something much more pious and spiritual and and, and that looks uh, like you know it's very Christian and religious. Well, no, now this happens. And it kind of mm-hmm. shows us to be uh, um, uh, uh, something else than what we claimed. It reveals our, our hearts. It reveals our collective uh, set of values. Now, that's not indicting, again, every Trump supporter, anything like that. Yeah. It's more of a collective reality, and it's an eruption of the real. That shows that, in large part, uh, American Christianity has become compromised with 
empire, the values of empire, power, wealth, and violence uh, um, used in a sinful and selfish uh, um, way and not uh, the, love of na- the love of God and the love of neighbor as the supreme yeah. value. So, so that, that's one part of it. And then I think the other part of, of what's erupting is, well, if that's the case, then what is Christianity? What does it look like? Where do we find uh, um, our identity now? And I think the other, the other reality that's rushing to the surface is who Jesus really is. Because if it's not this American Jesus, then, no. then who's Jesus really? And, and coming back to a Jesus-centered faith, the Jesus of the Gospels, the Jesus uh, who went about uh, um, um, healing the sick and preaching good news to the poor yeah. and, and, and delivering and liberating all those who were oppressed by what? the devil and by the powers that be. You know, that, 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 you told a story. Yeah, wrapped yeah up you, in that. you told a story about <clears throat> About when you were uh, planning a church, yeah. and you said you're going to start by preaching the gospels. What was the advice that someone gave you? Right, right. Well, I had a, a conversation with uh, uh, the um, uh, the old uh, Calvinist Baptist pastor who was very, very concerned about what I was doing, and uh, and and uh, because he was a controlling fellow, and so he said, <laughs> <laughs> so he said, throw in the shade, uh, throw in the shade. Well, you know, it's just the truth. So anyway, so he said, yeah, he's like, he's like, so, so, so you're 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 going to be pre- what commentaries are you using? And I and I and I listed a couple commentaries. Uh, I think I, w- I was preaching Luke, and I think I was using Old Green's commentary, and, and Joel is a, is a Methodist, and uh, and he just he just started to kind of shake his head, and and he said. You know, Zach. You know, be very careful. The gospels scare me to death. <laughs> that's that's and that's, that's indicting. I feel like just kind of said it all. Yeah. You know, and and in a if way, it was a huge turning point uh, for me theologically as well. Toward uh, starting a journey toward uh, a Jesus-centered faith. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's the second part of the question that I asked you. I was trying to get to at the beginning. We got a little sidetracked, right. but I wanted to get, go back to okay. So about growing up with the uh, the cultish experience, yeah. your dad participating in it. Yes. Uh, in the <clears throat> sorry about that. Yeah. No worries. Uh, in the book, you talk about how uh, your dad participated in the church plant. Right. Uh, when things went bad at the end, yes. your dad had some moves that you were um, highly unfavorable towards. Yeah. Right. Right. So when you write a book yes. and you talk about some dirty laundry in the family, yes. uh, it can fracture relationships. It can push right. things farther away. What has been the response uh, to, by your family to the book? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and this is the other fun, like weird thing about writing memoir <laughs> is that yeah. uh, you're, you're, you're telling uh, stories and, and you're telling um, uh, not, you're not telling all the stories. You're telling the stories that need to be told for this particular uh, yep. project. And there's still uh, an element of, of kind of privacy around other things. You know, as much as you're being open and vulnerable about, about some things. So there, there's an element of privacy ar- that I want to keep around that to a degree. But what I will say, and this is part of, I think, what I hope um, the book uh, helps uh, at least someone or or, 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 or a few folks to, to see is that you know um, uh, my situation with my family of origin isn't resolved. It's it's um, it's not cleaned up. You know, it's not uh, uh, it doesn't fit into maybe a certain category of. And now 
everything's We're okay, yeah. right? Yeah. Now uh, um, there's this you know, sense of everything is reconciled and figured out. It, it's not, you know, and and it's 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 kind of a mess. And and I think what I would kind of say to to folks reading is if you're in that space where it's still a mess. Where uh, things didn't just get wrapped up and tied up uh, into a nice resolved package, um, that that's okay, and that yeah. God is is present with you even in the midst of it being unresolved. That God is not uh, in some way antagonistic or opposed to you um, because you're in the middle of of this unresolved situation, and and it's still uh, messy. In fact, um, your own flourishing can come out of uh, that mess. And as you seek out what, you know, uh, you know, you are called to and the, the, the health and the, um, uh, the, 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 the resolution that you need personally, um, that, uh, that, uh, you know, you're going to find it. You seek that out. You're going to find it. So that, that I think is, is a huge message that I hope comes through with the book. Ah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Well, Zach, uh, the book, The Light is Winning. Well done, man. There's, oh, you're a good you. storyteller. I enjoyed reading it. So let me tell my listeners to do two things. One, if you're looking to start a podcast, go to our friends at Podbean, the all-in-one <laughs> podcast publishing and hosting platform. It's the easiest way to get started in podcasting. And now with their new mobile app, you can use your Android or iOS phone to record and publish directly from your phone. So do that. And then also get a copy of The Light is Winning. Beautiful. That's what you should do. Zach, well done. The light is winning. What do you think about the new cast for season three, True Detectives? It was just announced. Bro, I, I have not been more excited about anything in a very I long can't say, time. What's, how do you say the guy's name? I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I think it's Mahershala Ali. Yeah, the dude yeah. is and and I lo- I mean Moonlight was I mean one of the most phenomenal movies I've ever seen and it's just I'm just so excited. I, I think okay, truth uh, be told it's ready I to haven't be seen it. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, it's the, good. You uh, have to. You have to. Okay. Well, the dude's great in uh House of Cards. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Zach. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Well done. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it every time. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.